God is so good. Faithfulness to all generations. And I'm sure glad that includes my generation. Right? Not didn't stop two generations before me. And here we are just out here hanging in the wind and up to, you know, no good. But instead, he is faithful to all generations. That means that everything that he has promised and made available in the kingdom of God. If you've entered it, it has your name on it. And what you, what you brought and what you taught, Jen, was just so powerful and anointed. You know, if we'll put our faith to the simple truth, we'll be world changers by default. Why don't you stand up with me? I know, you got all situated with your notes and pens and... You know, when, when I prepare for the week, I'm always asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to study? What, what, what do you want me to bring to the people this week? And He, and he, he helps me. He brings me what He wants me to say, teach, and, and, and so forth. Tonight, when we were singing the first couple of songs of worship, I asked the Lord, I said, is there anything that you want to do tonight that is uh, in addition to what you've already told me? He says, yeah. He says, I want to minister in power. Amen. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Are you ready for him to minister yeah. in power? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Woo. Father, we present ourselves right here for you, squarely in front of you, Lord, <laughs> and minister in power according to your desires, Lord. We just make ourselves available to you. We invite you to come in, in spirit, in truth, and in power, Lord. That you bring us understanding and revelation tonight, and that you open up our understanding to be able to take a hold of and and know and understand the teachings and the Word of God in fresh and new ways. Father, we just get out of our own way and we say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. Who can say that? Here am I, Lord. And we give you free reign. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And accomplish all that you want to do in and through us. And we bless you, Lord. Amen. While you keep your antennas, your spiritual antennas, up. Alright? And if the Lord wants to minister something through you, then you just be listening on the inside. How is that supposed to look, Lord? And He'll bring it out. Do you know most of us have uh, built-in antennas? Did you know that? Did you know that when you lift up your antennas to the Lord, when you bless Him, when you praise Him, when you surrender to Him, what are you doing? You are positioning yourself for Him to minister to you, speak to you, through you. So let's just do that right now. Let's lift up our natural hands as antennas and say, Lord, I bless you. Lord, you're amazing. Lord, you're awesome. You've been good to me. The blood of Jesus cleansed me, has made me clean. Hallelujah.
His blood speaks a better word. Isn't that song so powerful? A better word. It erases your history and gives you a a new history. It rewrites it with the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about that. Because I got a history that I don't want anywhere near me, right? And I know that you do too. And because the history of Jesus is counted as mine, I can just stand before the Lord boldly and say, God, you are awesome. You can come to Him and expect that what you've asked of Him, He would just be thrilled to do for you because He is pleased with you. Because He sees you as He sees Jesus. He sees you as His Son. He sees you as belonging to Him, as family to Him. And He says, hey, I've given everything for you. There's nothing I would withhold from you. And you just stand there and go, Abba, Father, I bless you. You are good. I'm just going to preach my sermon before I preach the sermon. Got to blow off steam a little bit, you know, like a pressure cooker. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not who I once was. I didn't hear you. (laughs) Which neighbor do I tell? I don't know. Just tell somebody. You know what? I have really good news. Did you know that the devil is not who he once was either? You went into the supernatural. You became from being a sinner condemned to death to being a child of God, standing in right standing with Him. The devil went from this big boogeyman to defeated. In Isaiah, it says that we're going to look on Him and go like, is this the one? This is who was like harassing this Because we are far above. When Ephesians says that, you know what? The name of Jesus is above every name that is named and every power and principality and all those things, it doesn't say just over it. No, it says far above. Far above. Like, I mean, so far apart, no comparison. The enemy, your enemy, is not the equal opposite of God. The greater one has taken a part of himself and put it, plugged it right into you. Boom. And now the greater one that lives on the inside of you, there's a victory that is overflowing to you. There is an absolute guarantee of victory the Father has established in the earth through his spirit in you. And when this natural world comes against us and the enemy tries to take that and say, ah, look at that. Well, that's when you just lift up those antennas and go, Lord, I bless you. You have made me your son. Hallelujah. I bless you. Hallelujah. Glory. Tell you what, tonight in this sermon, you're going to learn that we did not, we are not fighting for a victory. We have been given victory. And we are standing in that place of victory. It already belongs to us. We just enforce it by what comes out of our mouth. Hallelujah. You can be seated. If you have not been with us the last number of weeks, we've been going through the book of Romans. And I would strongly encourage you to go and listen to last week's sermon. I had a number. We looked at Romans 7 and Romans 8. 
And the thing with Romans is if you, if some people, how many have you ever struggled with understanding Romans 7? That whole part where I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. Let's see the hands of anyone who's ever felt like, I'm not sure I really understand what's going on there. Well, you cannot understand Romans 7 if you stop at the end of 7. You have to read Romans 8 to be able to understand Romans 7. And the book of Romans, it, chapter 8, we got, um, I think we read down to verse 17 maybe last week, but we're going to, let's put it like this, think of your favorite restaurant, all right? Man, they make amazing food, right? And if you just go there one time, you don't leave there going, well, if it's your favorite one, anyhow, you don't leave there going, well, I'm never going back there again, because I was there, and I looked over the whole menu, and I'm satisfied with my experience there, I'm done, never to return, no, you can go back the next week, right? It's your favorite restaurant. I'll try something different on the menu. Or maybe you'll order the same thing you had last week, but man, this is good. Let's have more of it. Well, that's how Romans 8 is. You can just read and reread and go back to the restaurant again and again and eat and eat and eat. We could spend weeks here, and I'm not saying we're going to, but neither am I saying we're not going to. As the Lord wills. We'll move, we'll move forward. I got into my office and I got to study in here in Romans 8 and I was in verse 1 and verse 2 for, I don't know, hours and I was finally like, well, I don't know if we'll get past verse 1 or 2. <laughs> so we'll see, uh, we'll see where this is. But in Romans 7, Romans 8 is like the climax up to this point in the book, in the letter, of, of everything that he has written. You know, he establishes the guilt of the Gentile world and the guilt of the, the Jewish world and how that the whole world is sinners and they, they all need Christ. And then he makes a comparison of Adam and Christ and he begins to bring Abraham into it and, and it was through Abraham and this covenant and he works up to Jesus and who established a better covenant for us. And he begins to talk about the law. And in chapter 7, it, chapter 7, let's just put it this way, it is about a someone... You can be a believer, right, that is trying to live righteously according to the law. And that's something the law cannot do for you. Chapter 8 is the answer to the person who's living under the law or trying to accomplish righteousness by the law. Chapter 8 says, oh, there's a better way. It's by the Spirit. It's not by the law, right? And he details, and last week we looked at this and we looked at how that... Um, being living a spirit-led life, then you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And many people get that backwards, and they think, well, if I can overcome the lusts of the flesh, then I can be spirit-filled and led. But that's not how it says it. It says if you walk by the Spirit, then you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So if you don't want to do all those things you don't want to do, right? that he talked about in 7, the way to not do them is to walk after the Spirit. And then, by default, you won't be doing those things that are in 7. <clears throat> Interestingly, from chapters 1 through 7, the word Spirit is um, used five times, chapters 1 through 7. Whether it be talking about your born-again Spirit or the Holy Spirit. Five times the word spirit is used from chapters 1 through chapter 7. In chapter 8, this word spirit, talking about your born again spirit and the Holy Spirit, is used 22 times. 
in chapter 8. You see how he went around the corner and says like, okay, now here's the deal. Yeah, this, this was all what was going on, but now here's now. Right? This is the spirit life. <clears throat> so in chapter 7, he details, and he, he, he builds it up to like, man, I'm just like this miserable wretch because I've been, I, I have this desire, you know, I don't do what I want, I, I do what I don't want, all these things. In verse 7, uh, 24 in chapter 7, he finally says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. And he answers it in chapter 20, uh, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's his answer to it. And then in verse 8, uh, chapter 8 of verse 1, he says, therefore, therefore. So now he is saying, because of everything I just said, now we look at the answer. This is the answer to all the problems I presented in it before this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now. He did not say there will be someday in the future when you get to heaven and all things are glorified. He didn't say that. He said now. Now there is no condemnation. This word condemnation, it means an adverse sentence. An adverse sentence. In other words, you've been tried, judged, and found guilty. Here's the sentence against you. It carries the idea of a verdict. An example would be when the government condemns a building. Right? When the government comes and they look at a building and they say, they condemn the building. They're saying, this building is unfit for use and must be destroyed. That is how the word, this word is being used here. When the enemy comes and condemns you, what is he trying to convince you of? That you are unfit for use and ought to be destroyed. Same way. I remember we were meeting in a uh, building out in Colorado as a young church. And um, it was kind of like a bi-level building. And, and part of the building was the Masonic Lodge. <clears throat> so they met upstairs and then we met um, kind of in the half level between and the level underneath them was the, the uh, like our downstairs area here where we would eat and and so we would come into this building, and every week we felt like, man, we'd have to bind devils and, and like all these things just to make so we can have church service in here. And finally we decided, this is ridiculous, we should just pray these guys away. <laughs> and so we began to pray and take authority, and we command them to leave here, and that they can't be in this building, and all these things. Now this was the, uh, the building that we were renting that was owned by, what was the name of it? American Legion Hall, yeah. So it was a, a military place. And after six months of praying that way, he got to service one time, and here the, there had been a water line break. And it had been, um, I guess, up in their level somehow, or at least in the floor of their level, in the ceiling of our cafe, cafe right? And it flooded down through and all these things, and so they couldn't meet in there. Well, the funny thing was, is the government, the city, comes out, they inspect the building, and they condemn the upstairs over there, but not the downstairs and in the, our building. So we were able to keep meeting there, but they could not. I don't know how that works. 
The funny thing was, though, is the part that was under the authority of the enemy is the part that got condemned. We're in the same building, but we're not condemned. Because we're living to a higher truth. Not a higher truth, because there's only one truth. We're living to the truth, right? We're aligned with truth. There is therefore now no condemnation. I mean, I tell you, when the devil comes to condemn, because see, part of the thing is, is sometimes we just condemn ourselves. Right? We get out the hammers and start beating ourselves up. And as soon as the enemy sees you doing that, oh boy, they'll come with three more hammers, bigger ones. Right? You know, they see you being hard on yourself. Yeah, you, you know what? You really are stupid on that. And they'll just help you. And before you know it, man, you have got such a case built up against yourself. It takes you three weeks to get yourself in a position where you can believe God to do something for you again. So sometimes condemnation comes from just that kind of thing, or maybe from somebody you know that was condemning to you. But other times it comes, you know, by supernatural help. So when the devil comes and condemns you like that, you tell him in those feelings to go to hell. Right? That's where they belong. That's where they originate from. Because you belong to the family that's a far above. Far above. There is no, no, none, zip, zero, zilch, nada. I don't know. Other languages? None. Condemnation for those in. Everyone say in. For those in Christ Jesus. Doesn't say those that know about Him. Doesn't say those that heard about Him. Those that are in Christ Jesus. One of the interesting things about Paul as he writes this letter to the Roman church is that he keeps talking about how they were in the flesh, but now they're not in the flesh. But they're in Christ. And then he talks about, well, they might walk after or according to the flesh, but he no longer uses the term in. Because the word in, it carries... The idea of being fixed in time and place. And according to, or after, as he calls it in the King James, is simply a reference to after the pattern of. So it's not in it. So you are not, look at your neighbor and say, you are not in the flesh. So you are in the Spirit. In the Spirit. You understand there's difference between spirit, soul, and body, right? The Spirit, that's who you really are. You have an eternal soul. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality. And then you have a physical body, this tent. And your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, your bo- and your body did not get born again. But your spirit got born again. Got born again. New DNA on the inside. New image of Christ on the inside. So he says you're in Christ Jesus. Someone say, I'm in Christ Jesus. Then he makes this statement. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have many favorite verses. But this is one of them. And this is probably over the last number of years my most meditated and most said verse. Just to myself as I'm going about my day. This verse here is just so powerful. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. But you have to take verse 1 to understand verse 2. Right? 
There's no condemnation. So no one has a case against me. There is no adverse sentence against me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Because the law of sin and death. Did you know sin and death and condemnation? There's a law that connects all of that. See, the, the issue with condemnation is not an issue of heaven or hell here. If you're condemned and in condemnation, it doesn't mean you're now on the way to hell. It just means you're going to live a defeated life. As long as you're in condemnation, you're going to be defeated, not walking in victory. It's the difference between victory and defeat. It's not talking salvation here right now about this whole condemnation thing. You know, condemnation still exists for the believer, right? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the law of gravity. The law of gravity is constant, it remains. But did you know that they have made ways to overcome the law of gravity? Like, I've been flying airplanes, right? I get in the thing, we turn the power on, we go down the runway, and suddenly, ah, gravity has no hold on me. I can go up, I can go down, I can go wherever I want, because gravity has, I am far above. Right? Just flying around. Everything is great. But guess what? As soon as you pull the power out, as soon as the condemnation kicks in, and there's no more power, there's no more thrust on that airplane, suddenly the law of gravity starts having its effect. The law of sin and death starts having its effect. And if you don't do anything for a while, the earth is going to rise up and smite you. I mean, not really. You'll go down to meet it. But there was someone who once said that they were like, uh, they were explaining that you need to keep your airspeed up to keep the law of lift in effect. And he said, he must have, uh, he must have read a King James Bible because he said something along the lines of, you know, uh, maintain your airspeed lest the earth rise up and smite thee. <laughs> maintain your identity with the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit lest the law of sin and death rise up and smite you. And when you're training to be a pilot and to overcome gravity, you know, with even you look at rockets, they can blast things out into space that go like way out beyond gravity, like where gravity isn't even pulling on it anymore, and it just keeps floating in that direction that they'd sent it. An airplane isn't that way, but as long as the power is applied, the power of the Spirit, Suddenly, that law of gravity seems like it's non-existent to you because you're above it. Look at your neighbor and tell him, keep the power on. Power of the Holy Spirit in your life. <clears throat> he says the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It is a law just as sure as the law of gravity or the law of condemnation and sin and death. See, if you get into condemnation, suddenly you're going to find yourself that here at the door is the law of sin and death and bringing with it all the defeat that comes with condemnation. And then with defeat comes what are the other things that are attached to sin and death? Right? Everything that from in the natural realm, from sickness and disease to you name it. Right? Everything that is connected to death and sin and the laws that go with it. However, he says here, because of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. See, the Spirit of God on the inside of you, let me say it a different way. 
your born again spirit on the inside of you, which is in the image of God, which is created with His DNA. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Well, we know it wasn't His natural body that got crucified with Christ. He's talking about His spirit man, the old man. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Here later in Romans, he says it this way in verse, um, let's see, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It's funny that he names the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ in the same verse. Is he just repeating himself? I don't think so. I think the Spirit of Christ is your born-again Spirit on the inside of you. And when you begin to read and understand that in Scripture, some things will start to become clear to you when he talks about the Spirit of Christ in you. That's that reborn again, that Spirit that is made after the image of Him that He has given to you. So what about that Spirit? There is a law of life attached to it. A law of life that resides on the inside of you that even if your body were to just give up and fall over dead, you're still not dead. Jesus said, if you believe on me, even if you die, you won't be dead. You'll be alive. This life is the shortest thing we're going to do. And it's preparation for what we're going to really do. You know, we don't go to a baseball game and we watch them warm up. And then as they're walking off the field... Oh, the players are all sad and crying because, uh, you know, the game's over. No, the game hadn't even begun yet. You were just warming up. Right? Because what's coming is so much more than what's now. You know, if you read the book of Isaiah and Revelations and the rest of the Bible, you'll begin to see that there's some things coming that we're being prepared for. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth, right? And on that new earth, it says there's no more sea, so there's going to be a lot more real estate, I guess. Needs more space for people to manage things and do things. And you look in Isaiah, and you'll begin to see that, wow, we're not just going to all stand around and sing Kumbaya and God is great in heaven. That we are being prepared for something. And that is, that something is life on this earth. New earth. But here, He's not preparing us to go up there. He's preparing us to be ready when that comes here. Are you, are you with me? So, the law of your born-again spirit on the inside of you, the law of life, has delivered you and deliber- it has made you exempt from the law of sin and death. Exempt from it. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. You are amazing. He condemned sin. Ha! He brought judgment against it. He brought adverse sentence against it. In the flesh, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the the Spirit. You know, 
As I read through Romans 8, most people, if you have a translation like mine that capitalizes the word spirit, the, word, the, the letter S in the word spirit, like the translators, they, they, it's not in the original language capitalized like that. Like the translators are the ones that put a capital S on the word spirit, me, believing that it means the Holy Spirit, it means God. So they capitalize it. But the truth is, is the only way for them to know whether it's talking about the Holy Spirit or your born again spirit is by reading the verses before it and after it and who's he talking to and about. Well, you can do the same thing. And half of the S's in this chapter ought not be capitalized. I'll let that one soak a little bit. Because a lot of the times it's talking about spirit, I believe, it's talking about your born again spirit. The spirit of Christ on the inside of you. Not the Holy Spirit. And there's sometimes that it becomes real obvious because it named your spirit and the Holy Spirit all in the same sentence. And so then it becomes pretty obvious who he's talking about. Right? But that's something you can take time and you can read through it and, and read it different ways. Every time you come to spirit when he doesn't when when it's not clear that he's talking of which spirit, Holy Spirit or your born again spirit, just read born again spirit and see, does it make sense? And if it doesn't make sense, you go, Oh, no, that can't be that then. Bible study 101. Where were we? In verse, uh, let's read verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh. Now I have a question. Is it hard to live after the flesh? Okay, let me give you a crash course because some of you don't seem real sure. <laughs> let me give you a crash course of how to live after the flesh. It's really easy. It's not difficult. You wake up in the morning. And you just do nothing. Just nothing. And you'll immediately revert into living after the flesh. That's how you do it. Now I recommend that you don't do that. You wake up and you be led by... You, you live after the Spirit. And then the things of the flesh are not going to have the effect on you. And they're not going to carry or um, influence you. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. You ever try to argue with someone that has their mind set already on an opposite opinion? They're unpersuadable, right? I mean, like I made the mistake one time of arguing with some flat earthers. They are unconvincible. Like you could put them on a jet, shoot them into outer space, and show them it's round, and they would be like, no, nah, it's not round. That's the curve of the glass on the airplane makes it look round. They'll come up with the wildest things. And now listen, their minds are set, is the point. Is your mind set? That no matter what your flesh brings and presents to you, that you're like, nah, I am made after the image of the greater one on the inside of me. I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Oh no, with him on the inside, nope. Unconvincible about all the doubts, all the accusations, all the condemnations. Right? Have your mind set on the things of the Spirit. And what's the result? Now the mindset of flesh is death. Look, if you have a lot of death in your life, Examine your mindset. Now, not in condemnation. Oh yeah, I got this going on. 
I think we can all point to things that are going on in the natural realm, right? But that's not where we're anchored. We're, we're anchored somewhere else. And when salvation came to mankind, creation was not redeemed. It's still in its broken, corrupted state. He talks about that later here in the chapter. But our spirit on the inside was redeemed. That's called the deposit. I gave them a deposit of my spirit, of what is to come. And with that deposit, that is enough for them to live in victory. And to overcome. And to enforce my will upon the earth by their declarations, by their faith, by their believing. So if you have death in your life, examine your mindset. And say, you know what? Go back up to verse 2. You just meditate on that. The law of the Spirit of life on the inside of me has delivered me and set me free from the law of sin and death. Sin, death, you have no hold on me. I'm completely exempt from you. You can't touch me. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> See, you get sassy with it. Act like you mean it. But we walk around acting all holy and pious. Oh yeah, everything's great. And then we go home and you know your thoughts. The mindset of the Spirit is life. Shakabundi. Life. Right? Life. Life. And peace. Anyone in here ever yielded to stress? A few hands. The rest of you will give an altar call for liars. <laughs> so we didn't have to, did we? Yield to it. No, because life and peace is the mindset. And the amazing thing is, is that you can be in the middle of death, standing in death knee deep, and still be at peace. Still have life and peace. You know, being free from the law of sin and death, our flesh will die. Do you know anyone? Is anyone, is anyone here that's two or three hundred years old? Nobody? So, all those people that came before us, they died. Their physical body died. And the Word says that it's appointed unto men once to die. Not when you die, right? But to die one time. That's your flesh. But the amazing thing is that law of the Spirit of life says, oh, but death doesn't get the last word. Right? says, oh, no. Oh no, death doesn't get the last word. In fact, that body's going to come back to life and it's going to be so much better than the first one was. It's going to have upgrades. It's going to be able to do things the first one couldn't do. So when you look at death, don't look at it as in, huh. Because remember, this is the shortest thing we're going to do. Right? You know, you can look back over the years and you go, well, it doesn't seem very short. I don't know. I think that perspective changes the older you get. I think my life span is a whole lot shorter than it was 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. But 30 years ago, I'd lived forever. <laughs> right? I'm 10 years old, and it seems like it's been forever. I mean, it's been my whole life. <laughs> but now, 10 years is nothing. Right? It's like 10 years. Oh, that's quick. That soon? And so imagine what your perspective is going to... Imagine what God's perspective is. A thousand years? And He's like, oh, we better get our shoes on for that. It's right here now. Right? 
He lives outside of time, so he's there before it even gets there, but that's another. I won't try to distract you with that. All right, verse 7. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. If you are yielding to the mindset of the flesh, you are just throwing the door open for the law of sin and death to come and to, to just come at you. Because if you're going to walk in agreement with something that is hostile to God, I mean, that's like just bad news. I don't even want to stand beside you. And do you understand what I'm saying? Being hostile to God, like putting yourself as I'm your enemy. That's what that's saying. Now the great news is, is that if you're currently there, come on, just change your focus a little bit. Who are you on the inside? Get out of that flesh mindset and into the spirit. You are, you are his child. Yeah, you've been, you've been agreeing with a behavior and a pattern of thinking that's hostile to him, but that's not who you are. You're his child. So just step away from that and come over to this side. Oh, life. Ooh, peace. Yeah. Life and peace. Hallelujah. I'm so glad for life and peace. Anyhow, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh, someone say, not I. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. You, however, yeah, that's right, Paul. Thank you for saying that. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You've been dipped. You've been washed. You've been baptized. Your spirit, it's where you start and that's where you end. Spirit, spirit, spirit. Spirit of God in me. Born again spirit on the inside of me. Holy Ghost on the inside of me. There's so much spirit on the inside of me, it can overcome anything out there in the world. Right? There's Bible verses that says that. Greater is He that's in you. He did not say greater is He that you know about. It's your identity. Right? It's your identity. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, oh, conditional. If, indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... That'd be your born-again spirit, I believe. He does not belong to Him. See, along about John 14, verse 17 maybe. Somewhere in there. It says that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It cannot receive the Holy Spirit. But when they believe, they receive the Spirit of Christ. Alright? So let's read this again. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you have a new identity. You're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, well, He does, because the Spirit of Christ lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. That's past tense. It's already happened. The body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. The Spirit. Your born again Spirit with the DNA of God on the inside of you is life on the inside of you. 
And what does it do? Because of righteousness. <clears throat> Let's talk about righteousness a little bit. Sometimes righteousness, it, it takes on this, <clears throat> it's just unclear to us. Yeah, we understand it's being right with God. But think of it this way. Righteousness means that God says you're right. If you have an argument with that person that has their mindset on something different, and you come to a court, right? Now you're standing in the courtroom. And the judge hears both cases. This case, that case. And then the judge sides with you and says, you know what? You're right. The judge has just found you righteous. Has just declared you righteous. Has just declared you right in this case. You are right in this case. You stand right with this court. That is what righteousness with God is. He looks at you and he says, you're right. Not because of something you did for yourself. It's because of something my son Jesus did for you. Right? He, he went and accomplished it for us. We don't do that for ourselves. He did it. We just receive it. So, because of right. Uh, because of being right. Because of being declared right. God looks at you and says, yep, you're right. Verse 11, and if the Spirit of Him who raised... be the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh. We owe the flesh nothing. You get up in the morning, your eyes pop open, you say, good morning, Lord. And then, you know, you owe your flesh nothing today. Not even coffee. See, I give my flesh coffee as a gift. It's not owed. All right, moving right along. So we are not obligated, we're not in debt to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, because... If you live according or after the flesh or after the pattern of the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And this word Abba is the word Father. It's just in Aramaic. He, they, he wrote it in Aramaic and in Greek. Abba, Father. That's what that is. Just saying it in two different languages. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery. You know, one of the things to understand, to help understand the book of Romans and all the law that he talks about, <clears throat> one of the conversations I had this week, the question was asked, well, why would God have brought the children of Israel out of slavery, right, from Egypt, only for them to now be in bondage, slavery, to the law? You know, in, in some ways it wasn't much better. 
Because you read all the curses that comes with the law, if you don't keep it, it's a pretty bad deal. And so, they come out of slavery, out of natural slavery in the flesh, to go out and be given the law. Well, the law wasn't slavery to them. The law only was the light that revealed the spiritual slavery they were in. Right? They had come from natural slavery, and now the law comes along. You know, you ever notice how your vehicle at night looks a lot cleaner than it does in the daytime? Now the dirt's there all along, but the light reveals the dirt is there. Well, that's what was going on with them. So they didn't go into slavery to the law. They just simply, the law came and was the light that revealed your need of a Savior. And then fast forward all those years and Jesus comes. and So now, they right, the children of Israel, everything that was going on there was types and shadows. And I heard it taught this way, and this is how I've taught it too, is that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. Right? So when you look at the Old Testament, them coming out of a natural slavery was an illustration of what was going to happen in the spiritual sense of coming out of spiritual slavery to sin. Slavery to sin. Not slavery to the law. The law just revealed the other slavery they were in. Does that make sense? So here, let's look back here in in what he's saying. He says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Father, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. That we are God's children. Put up Colossians 3.15 on the screen. Colossians 3.15. The Spirit Himself, talking about the Holy Spirit, testifies together with our spirit. You see there's both spirits there. Your born again spirit and the Holy Spirit. He testifies, testifies with, testifies together with. That means there is a co-witnessing happening. Your Spirit saying one thing, the Holy Spirit saying the same thing, that's agreement. That is a co. Co means two. Co-witness on the inside. Right? Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were called in one body, control your hearts. Put it up in the NIV. Let the peace of Christ rule. Rule in your hearts. Rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ. That's your born again spirit. Your born again spirit takes no delight in unrighteousness. Oh, your flesh does. It thinks it's great. But your flesh is just pretty messed up and deceived. But your spirit on the inside, it's why it has that, you know, if you're setting out and you're doing something you know you ought not do, it's why on the inside there's this, no, don't, no. That's your spirit. It's not taking part in it. And it's trying to get you to come over here. And what happens is your spirit and the Holy Spirit, they they co-witness on the inside. People talk about, well, how how do I be led? You know, earlier we just read here that all the sons... All those led by God's Spirit are God's Son. This is not a test of, are you Spirit-led or not? Because then we'll know if you're a son or not. That's not what he's saying. Don't read it that way. He's just making it obvious that, look, those that belong to God, they are, this is natural. 
They're led by the Spirit. They're directed by the Spirit. By their born-again Spirit. And then also by something else. By the Holy Spirit. Bearing witness with their Spirit. that Yeah, that's good. That's good. Let's do that. You know, when you set out to do something and yeah, you just have that, I don't know that that's right, this unrest, this not sure. There's no co-witness on the inside. The number one way that you're led by the Spirit of God is by peace or no peace. Put Colossians 3.15 up or whatever that scripture was I gave you. Yeah, 3.15 in the Amplified. And in the Amplified, it calls him the umpire of peace. But more than that, it amplifies, explains, gives explanation to the meaning. And let the peace, that would be soul harmony, which comes from Christ's rule, act as umpire continually. What does an umpire do? It makes the calls out, safe, right? So act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ's one body you were also called to live. And be thankful, appreciative. Give praise to God always. He is the umpire of peace. You know, one of the, one of the primary ways also that the Lord leads us is by His Word. He directs us by His Word. You know, it's a tragedy to sit down and read your Bible without the author with you. You know, don't do that. Sit down with the author, because the author can tell you what he really meant. Oh yeah, did you see this paragraph over here? Man, that was, you know, he can explain it to you. He can talk to you about it. So when you sit down and read, invite the author. Lord, be the revealer. Open up my eyes to see this. But when you, don't, when you sit down and read without the author, it's just your best guess at this point. What did he mean? Well, I don't know. This person explains it that way, and this person explains it this way, and, and so I don't know. But truth is not relative. The author knows truth, and he can explain that to you. So the Bible is going to be the primary way that he's going to speak to you. And when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is going to direct you and guide you and open understanding and minister scriptures to you. He may also lead you, we're talking about being spirit-led here, by your born-again spirit on the inside is not the Holy Spirit. Are you clear on that? Right? It's not the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and they are two and separate beings. Alright? But they will communicate with each other. They'll witness with each other. On yay or nay. And that's what I was talking about a little bit ago in that the, the, the number one way that you're going to be led by the Spirit of God is by either the presence of peace or the absence of it. If the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace, that is how you decide, should I or should I not? Should I make that investment or should I not? There's sometimes that the Lord will, will speak to me on the inside, and like I hear Him on the inside, not out here with these ears. Right? Don't, don't listen out here for voices. You listen out here for voices and you're just setting yourselves up to be in a world of hurt. You have to listen in the right place. And that's on the inside with your spirit man. Your spirit being is how God communicates with you. He does not communicate with you through your flesh. He gave you a cell phone on the inside when you got born again. This is our connection. Wireless. It's the original. 
right? This is our connection. This is how He's going to talk to you on the inside. And so if you begin to listen out here, you open yourself up for deception and for other voices and because the devil can show up like an angel of light too. But guess where he can't show up is on the inside of you. He cannot give you peace. But he can tell you things. I mean, I've heard an audible voice one time. And it was a Bible verse telling me it's my time to die. And it was a big lie. It wasn't the Lord at all. You have to listen in the right place. You know, if I told you, you know, if I said, Lee, I'm going to call you. And if Lee went into his office and went next to um, what, what, what do people have in their offices? Let's just say a paper punch. So he went and he took and sat next to the paper punch, waited for my call. He could wait there for a whole week. And I could have tried to call him a thousand and three times. And he never would have taken my call. Because he's trying to use the wrong device. And in the end, he goes away and goes, I guess Pastor Sid's just not calling me like he said. Or maybe you're listening at the wrong place. I remember the story about this one fellow down in Arkansas. He had gone into um, the seamstress shop and he'd gotten a job there. And it was his first day. And when he came home at the end of the day, he had like his head all bandaged up and like he looked a mess. I mean, he had these huge band-aids on the side of his head and wrapped up. And they were like, what happened to you? I mean, this is like your first day. What in the world's going on with you? He said, yeah, it was a rough day. He said, uh, I went in there and the first thing they gave me to do was some of the clothes they had just made needed to be ironed. And so they put me on the iron. And so I was ironing clothes. And the phone rang. And I answered the iron thinking it was the phone and burnt my ear. They were like, oh man, that must have been horrible. He said it was. It was terribly painful. And they were like, well, why is your other ear bandaged up? And he said, well, they called back. But see, if you do that often enough, all that's going to happen when you're trying to listen at the wrong place is you go away hurt and injured. And then eventually you're going to be afraid to listen because I just get hurt when I answer that thing. Not only that, not to mention the scars that are there now. So don't be listening out here. No, no, no fleeces. None. You say, well, maybe I've done fleeces and they've worked. I would stay away from them. Because it's not scriptural. The sons of God are led by fleeces? No. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Where does the Spirit of God reside? On the inside of you. So anytime you go to the outside natural realm to get confirmation, guess who else is in the outside natural realm? The devil. So now you've just opened yourself to be deceived. Lord, if it's your will, make four red cars drive by. Boy, the devil had four red cars lined up down the street because it wasn't God's will at all, but they drove by. See what I'm saying? You open yourself up for deception. You say, well, what about Gideon? Well, Gideon was not living in a time where God had put a deposit of himself inside mankind. But you and I are. Man, our day's so much better than Gideon's. So much better than Gideon's. Talking about being spirit-led. Maybe you say, well, I don't hear, I don't hear the Lord. I don't feel like He talks to me. You start paying attention on the inside of just peace or no peace. You know, when there is 
a witness between the Holy Spirit and your spirit on the inside that something is right, it feels right. It feels good. Yeah, that's a right decision. If you suddenly have that, you know, just it doesn't quite seem right, you need to really pay attention to that. You know, before I knew what being spirit-led was, you know, I would have called it, well, my gut. I'm just going by a gut feeling. No, that was my spirit. Or, or the ladies would say it's intuition. Right? They're intuition. They don't have gut. They have intuition. Right? They're intu- their spirit is what they're saying. And the more you walk by the spirit, your born again spirit, the more sensitive you will be, the more accurate you will be, the more you're going to get it right. And as in anything, the more you yield and step into, the more sensitive you become to it. The more in tune you become to it. You know, the Lord may lead you. I'm not saying He never leads a person with an audible voice. Sure, it's happened. But don't look there to be led is what I'm saying. And if you do hear something audible, man, you've got to have the peace that accompanies it. Because if God is saying something to you audibly, but not giving you peace on the inside about it, He's pretty messed up. Right? But that's not who He is. That's not what He does. The other thing about being Spirit-led is that you, God may lead you by, suddenly, by you seeing things on the inside. You see a picture of something. Or you just have a knowing about something. You just suddenly know, this is what I need to do. Or that is, is the situation. It's just a knowing. Or you might hear Him on the inside say, do this or don't do that. Or, or a scripture might come to you. As a thought. Another way that, that the Lord will speak to me sometimes is it's interesting, it'll be in, in the voice of someone that I know. Right? Maybe a pastor that I listen to or a teacher that I listen to, and it'll repeat, it'll be a repeating of something they said one time. Suddenly is brought to life on the inside of me. That's the Holy Spirit bringing to your remembrance. Remember, He said that what, one of the things the Spirit of God's going to do is bring to your remembrance all things that are needed to walk in truth. And so we pay attention to those things. And and we yield to that. And we never violate peace. Now violating peace, you can can go into a situation that's anything but peaceful, but still be in peace. Alright, the Spirit, um, verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies together. Together. Someone say together. together. Together with our spirit that we are God's children. Testifies together with our spirit that you're one, of, you're one of His. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of you telling you you belong to Him. Your DNA is from above. You are from above and not beneath. You, you have the Mighty One living on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of you bearing witness to this. In fact, um, put up First John... 5 verse 10 on the screen. 1 John 5.10 So the Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. His children. In other words, we belong to Him. We have His name. 1 John 5 verse 10 The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony. You know what a testimony is? It's a witness. Has this witness. Has this testimony within Him. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. And because he has not believed in the testimony, in the witness God has given about his son. 
Um, go to 1 John 3.24. 3.24. You have a witness. I mean, God did an amazing thing by giving you a born-again spirit, the Spirit of Christ. That in and of itself is like a vast difference between the Old Covenant and the New. Have the DNA of God, His Spirit on the inside of you. Then the Lord doubled down on it by now giving the Holy Spirit to also reside on the inside of you like a house, a temple. Your, your body's called a temple, right? Temple of the Holy Spirit. So he doubled down on that and, and said, not only am I going to give you the Spirit of Christ, I'm going to give you my Spirit. There's two of them in you. Ain't no way you can lose with that, right? He says, the one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Bearing witness with you. And when that condemnation comes knocking, oh no, not today. Not today. I belong to him. I am stamped with his seal of approval on the inside. I am His, and I stand firmly in His presence, and there's nothing you can do about it, devil. Verse 17, And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God. How many want to be heirs of God? I mean, like, does He have, He has some stuff. <laughs> be an heir. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to be an heir of someone like Bill Gates or something? Because then you could shut down all this stupid research and take his money to a good use. <laughs> but you get my point, right? Someone that's really wealthy, to be an heir to that is like, wow. Well, how about being an heir to something a whole lot better than that? An heir to God. Whoo, wow. And co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. Now, here's how co-heirs work. If someone dies and makes two people co-heirs, one person cannot show up. What do they call it when they have a reading of the will? I guess maybe that's what they call it. Okay, reading of the will. So when, when they have a reading of the will, one person can't just show up and because the other person's not there, him receive it as heir. No, both parties have to be there and be present. They're both dependent upon the other one to be able to inherit. You can't inherit without the other one there. Well, we are co-heirs with Christ. And I know that we would just like for Him to do everything for us, but that's not how it works. We need Him. We're all pretty clear on that. But did you know He needs you? He needs you. If He didn't need you, He would have just done it all Himself. But when He gave the Great Commission, said, go into all the world... Teach, preach. The gospel make disciples of all nations. This is us doing our part. And together we're going to inherit. Remember that new earth, new heaven we were talking about? All of that, all that is to come. We're co-heirs with Christ. He is a part, we have a part. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Worship team, you can come. I think I'm going to come in for landing. Speaking of landing and condemnation and kind of where we started off at, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
in him, meaning you have his identity. So there is no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for you. And just like I compared that to the law of gravity. You know, one of the things the instructors like to do when I was learning to fly is we'd be out there flying and I'm doing everything like I should be doing and everything is going great. And they wait until you look to the left or out the window and they reach over and pull the power out. And they say, your engine just quit. What are you going to do? So you begin to, the first thing is you, you start to angle downwards to keep your airspeed up, right? So that you continue to fly and don't just fall straight down. And then you pull out the checklist. Well, you begin to look for a place to land. Is there a field, a road, an airport, something nearby? Where can I put this thing on the ground? Because we're not going far. And then you pull out a checklist and you're going down the checklist and you're doing this and doing that and trying to restart the engine and, and then if the engine doesn't start, there's another checklist for that because now you have to shut things off in a certain order and now that you're going to crash land into this field, there's another checklist that you have to go through and make sure all these things have happened and all the different fuels got shut off and the door gets unlatched and there's checklist after checklist after checklist and suddenly you are just busier than a one-armed wallpaper hanger pretty busy suddenly you you have just an overwhelming amount of things that you're trying to do and keep track of and still keep this plane flying and keep your airspeed where it needs to be and and all these different things guess what you're not doing no focus on the future it's all immediate you're just consumed in the right now right here trying to manage all this law of sin and death and condemnation that's going on and trying when you're living under the law that you're just overwhelmed with things and no matter what how good of a job you do on this thing no matter what kind of glide ratio you got this plane in you're still going to wind up on the ground defeated you get all that sorted out you find a field and you you've looked you've checked the direction of the wind because you want to land into the wind you're setting yourself up on this field or road or whatever it is you're going to land on you're looking for obstacles and 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 electric lines and all these other things and maybe you're about 500 feet off the ground now because see the secret is is over any kind of populated or, or urban area not populated but around in Lancaster County for example you're not supposed to go lower than 500 feet. So about the time you reach 500 feet off the ground, the instructor reaches over and says, oh, the engine started. And so you're free to add full power. Get rid of the drag, the flaps, and start flying this airplane again. Not putting it down in the field. Not going to crash. Suddenly the power is restored. The power is restored. The instructor, in this case, he's sitting in the seat of Jesus, right? The Spirit of Christ. Suddenly you remember, oh, yeah, there's someone else. And he says, I'm restored. And boy, you just push that power all the way in, and suddenly life is different. There's a future. You're thinking about the distant future. And not about immediately what is happening right here in front of you. And it's the difference between the law, it's the difference between the mindset of the flesh and the mindset of the spirit. One will just consume you, and the other one is liberating. Is that peace? Is life? 
Is this isn't flying amazing? Yeah, now that we're not crashing. Right? But isn't this how it is in life? The law of life and peace. Stand up with me if you would. Look, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance that I am praying for all of us. And then I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment. And if you agree with it, when I get done with all of it, you just say amen. Because amen means so be it. So that means you've taken ownership of the prayer and it's it's yours to the Lord. Understand? Okay, let's pray. Father, we present ourselves right here to you tonight. And Lord, we recognize that our need of you is great and that you have made provision for all those needs for us. And Father, I repent for the times that I have been had a flesh mindset. For the times that I have operated according to the law of sin and death rather than the law of life and peace. And Father, I turn away from that kind of thinking and that kind of acting and that kind of way of being. Because Father, I'm not in the flesh, but I'm in Your Spirit. And You are in me. So Father, from now on, I just set myself in alignment with who You say I am. That You are in me and I am in You. And my mindset is going to be about You and the truth that you have given to me, and how to manage the things of the flesh as best pleases you. Lord, this is what I am committed to doing. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for giving me a new spirit on the inside of me. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you're bearing witness and adding your agreement to my spirit and that this is an easy way to be led. Thank you for this. Lord, I'm no longer going to ignore that prompting on the inside. I'm no longer going to ignore and override peace and go ahead when I feel unrest. I'm not going to do that. I reject that, Father. And now I put myself in agreement with You that when You give me peace on the inside, I recognize it for what it is and I'm going to rise up in boldness. And Lord, I give You complete, I give You complete permission to lead me, to direct me, to direct my thoughts, to help me walk in such a way that establishes your victory everywhere I go. In Jesus' name, and amen. I believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. I believe in you. I believe in you, you're the God of miracles. No one, no one else, God of miracles. Father, thank you for being good to us. Thank you that you are the miracle worker. And that nothing is impossible with you. And Lord, we believe that. Lord, we believe that we can do all things through you. And Lord, that nothing, nothing that you give us is too difficult for you to help us do. We bless you, Lord. We love you, Lord. You are good in every way. You are awesome and amazing.
you need a miracle right now, I just invite you to lift up your hands to the Lord. You know, He gave everything for you and He would withhold nothing from you. And as His loved child, He looks at you and He loves you. And He has your good in mind. So I can think of about half a dozen miracles that I could use in my life. There's no shortage of them. Father, I thank you for your miracle working power. Father, I thank you for miracles in health, miracles in finances. Father, I thank you for miracles of expanded vision, miracles of the right person at the right place at the right time. Thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, the miracles of your Spirit in operation in our lives as we go into this week. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for life and peace. Thank you for hope. You didn't leave us without hope. And that you gave us all things required for life and godliness. I receive those things in Jesus' name. Someone say, I receive it. I believe it. I receive it, Lord. we sing we believe what would we ask of the Lord if we knew that we'd get it what would we ask of him in this next week if we knew that he, we're going to get what we ask we'd probably ask some really big things some small things but some really big things and you know, if we have His ear, and if nothing is too hard for Him, let's, let's be of the people that ask. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. So let's ask in faith, nothing doubting, but being just like a little child. Simple, simple faith. The Lord, you said it, I believe it, hallelujah, I'm asking for it. One of the things I want to uh, remind you of is 
or make it make an adjustment to our schedule on I had told you that Pastor Jake Kale was going to come minister on the 24th but we changed that schedule because so many of you are going to be away at a wedding and so I asked him if he would come the week before on the 17th so mark that down in your calendar he is coming on September 17th be ministering here and so invite your friends and family and expect God to move mightily that night also the uh, home group leaders if you could meet me right after the service down in the prayer room um, I need about 10 minutes of your time so one way that we love God in this house is not just an expression or a saying but it's an actual doing right one way that we love God is we love on each other and We've been recently, one of the ways we've been loving on each other is by encouraging each other. So I encourage you to do this, to check in with the Lord. Is there anyone here tonight that I should encourage or give encouragement to? And let Him minister that to you and then go do it. And you'll just be amazed at how that sets them up for success this next week. Love you guys. You're dismissed. Good evening. <laughs> that was loud. Good evening, everyone. So happy to see your, your smiling faces here tonight. Praise the Lord. We're so blessed, aren't we? We really are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. I truly believe that. You know, I'd like to share Psalms 47 with you. Uh, it was penned by K King Hezekiah. After a miraculous victory of a battle over the Assyrians back in 2 Kings 19. And he was jubilant with praise and worship and thankfulness of what the Lord had done. And I thought about that battle and I thought about the greatest battle that's ever been won in mankind's history. And that's the battle between Jesus and Satan on the, you know, Calvary's cross when Jesus laid his life down. The God-man laid his life down and bled his human blood for each and every one of us, opening up the door of salvation and an opportunity to have relationship with our Heavenly Father. We have so much to be thankful for. King Hezekiah said, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. 
He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loved. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Glory to God. For God is a king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nation. God sits on the holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together the people of God. For the shields of the earth belong to the Lord. He is greatly to be exalted. Well, we have much to be thankful for in exalting our God, our Jesus, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. Amen. So let's stand together, family of God. And like King Hezekiah, let's just sing our praises to him. He is so worthy for the battle he's already won that we stand as overcome. Good evening. Hallelujah. I'm going to have Damon introduce a couple people that we have helping us out tonight so that you don't wonder what's going on. Okay. So. Uh, to my immediate right is uh, his name is Sister Adrian. She was my right hand when we were serving in ministry for a long time. It didn't like ministry. They meant we, won't, we don't do numbers. And the other young, lovely young lady in the in the, in the yellow and blue with the smile that's ready to hit me is my wife of 37, 37, 38. Yeah. This is my wife, Gina. She's joining us. Uh, this, this past week, we had, a, we had a, our, our goddaughter passed away, and we had a funeral, and we had an opportunity to bring all of our choir members back together. And there were some folks who hadn't, you know, hadn't literally hadn't sought the Lord, and we just had a wonderful time. John and Sandy joined us, and we had an amazing time. There were eight souls. They got saved at a funeral. Okay, amen. So God is moving. We're really excited about being here tonight. We're really excited about worshiping the Lord tonight. Let's go. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father God, thank you so much for the newness of life, the new creation that you provided through your son, Jesus. We are so grateful. And Jesus, thank you that you are willing and obedient and with great joy went to the cross, willingly shed your blood for each and every one of us to make way back to the heart of the Father our great salvation, our great redemption was paid on that cross. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for that. Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit that he dwells within each one of your born-again children, that beautiful spirit that guides us into all truth, 
keeping us from error and deception. That beautiful spirit that provides wisdom and understanding and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through the living word. That we're growing and abounding in truth and the wisdom of our Father. Growing up, maturing every single day. Operating from the fruit of the spirit that's been dwelling in us as a born again child. Father, we have so much to thank you for. You are a good, good, faithful Father in all your ways. All you are is love, and all you do is give that love to us. We stand in awe. We stand amazed at your goodness towards us. We know, Father, that that blood took care of every single sin in our life. The blood is enough to erase and eradicate all our past sins. So we stand righteous before you tonight, Father, with hearts open to receive the good, good word of God, the word of life that pulsates life, pulsates wisdom and understanding, thereby we grow in it and get to know you more and more. Father, with big hearts, we all collectively say, Thank you. Thank you. We praise you and thank you. You are a great, wonderful Father. Amen. Amen. Wow. Just think about Jesus and anything else will just fade away. Amen. He's so big. He's so fabulous. Now, one way we love God is by loving one another. But for a moment, I want to remind the parents, when you take your children downstairs, it's move up Saturday night. Kelly and Alicia will be down there to help you navigate your children in the right classes. Let's all keep this heart of worship and just embrace the good word of God tonight. Amen. Take a moment to turn to your neighbor and say, boy, isn't it great to be here? I'm so glad I came. Hallelujah. Well, good evening, everyone. It's trying to wait a little bit and let some of those parents come back in. But what a privilege to be here tonight. You know, we're here because of Jesus. Amen. That's, that's why we get together, to worship him, to hear the good word of God. You know, the word it says Jesus is the word. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So what a privilege that we can come together, we can open the word of God, and it becomes life to us. We can minister to one another as he ministers to us. All right, well, I'm glad to be here, so we welcome all of you. If you're here for the very first time, any visitors with us, we're glad you're with us. If you're here for the first time, just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you, see who you are. Right here in the back, welcome. We're so glad you're with us tonight, over here. Another Adrian with us. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe. So if you need to uh, have a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. And the ushers will bring you one. If you're giving by check, you can make it out to CWI. If you're giving by credit card, we appreciate when you fill out every blank. So, All right, well, turn in your Bibles to Mark. Tonight I just felt um, the scripture that we were to read tonight is out of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, 
You might, as I begin reading here, you might wonder, well, now wait a minute, what does this have to do with, with tithes or, or giving? But, but you'll see. I, I trust the Lord. I really felt this is where he wants us to go tonight. So in verse 13 says this, as people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Knock it off. I mean, this is an important man. This is master here. You can't bring obnoxious children to, you know. You can just hear it, you know. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Who do you think you are? I'll take care of myself if they're, you know, I can handle myself. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you. He's bolstering this now. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, he didn't say the kingdom of of God, you know, only for children. He's saying unless you are like a little child. He said the kingdom of God is for such as these. So, you know, we know there's a lot of traits about children we are not to imitate. All right? We don't stomp and scream the moment we want something. Okay, we don't just flip out as soon as we're hungry. We sh- I hope you don't. <laughs> so what is he talking about here? It's pretty important. He says, unless you become, what does it say here? Unless, though anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's pretty big. He says, and then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, notice this. The very next scriptures we're going to read, I feel, illustrate what he would, the trait he was bringing out. I believe it's trust. I'll just jump to the chase. I believe it's trust that he's going to, we're going to see here in these, in these verses. You know, if you think about little children, they're so trusting. They will believe what you tell them. If I tell a little child... We're going to go get ice cream. They're not like, mm, I don't know. Mm. You know, if I say, hey, we're going to go swimming after, after lunch. Yay, we're, you know, it's right now. You tell them the earth is round, they believe the earth is round. If you tell them it's flat, they'll believe it's flat. I mean, you'll, they'll just believe you. Trusting. All right? So he says that. That happened. Then it says, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. So he's asking, are you recognizing I'm God? Is that what you're saying? All right, we're going to find out. (laughs) That's what he's saying. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So he's done all of these good behaviors. But Jesus, watch Jesus. He just puts his finger right on that one thing, that one heart issue. Because he knows all things. He, he, he knows where we're at. And he puts his finger right on it. Verse 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I just, when I read that, I just kind of kept coming back to that. He looked at him and loved him. You know, if I look at Karen and love her, am I going to think about what, what can I get out of her? <laughs> if I love somebody, I'm looking to give. I'm looking to bless. I'm for her. I'm looking, I'm for her. But, but look at what he says next, because the man didn't take what he said next like that. 
He didn't recognize that Jesus looked at him and loved him and was like, he's for me, so of course this is going to be good, whatever he asks of me. He says, he says to the man, he says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, this just exposed so many things right here. His face fell, okay? He's, he's presented with this, with this thought, what, like, which way do I believe? Is God a giver? Is he a taker? He just asked me to give away all my things. <sighs> he must be a bad God. He must, he must want me poor. <laughs> Who's my trust in? Who's my provider? I've worked hard for all of this. How am I going to be provided for? I mean, that, God, Jesus, I have bills to pay. Give it all away? What do you mean? So he's at a test here. Notice that the test of trust was in the area of finances. Just over and over, you know. That ha- I mean, I'm, I'm saying from experience. Have you experienced that? Your, your test of trust is in, in this area? Listen, if, if God is asking you to give an offering to give something up, surrender something. Maybe he's asking you to put in your, putting his finger on the matter of the tithe. Believe that he's for you. He's looking at you and he loves you. He, he has good in his heart for you. And this is the thing is the man didn't know what was on the other side of this. Clearly, he didn't believe in the law of sowing and reaping. Or he'd have been like, woohoo, look at all this seed. Man, what a harvest is coming for me. Clearly, he didn't know about... Um, what, what it says in the Proverbs about, you know, the one that gives to the poor or is kind to the poor is lending to the Lord, and the Lord will reward. He didn't, I don't know, maybe he just forgot that day. All he could see is what he was forsaking, and his trust was on the line. Who was going to provide? And the things had him, you know. Jesus wasn't against him having stuff, and you'll see that. 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter, I'm going to emphasize that, the kingdom of God. He said, enter. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Notice he didn't say to dwell in. Um, Back up to where we was talking about the little children. He says, unless you receive the kingdom of God like little children, you'll never enter. He's talking about, you know, if your trust is in your accomplishments, your resources, your money, your career, all of these things, it's in the wrong place. You're going to have to come to that place of a little child where you surrender that and you realize there's only one who is your source. There is only one who is reliable, one who can adequately provide. Only one. Only one. Notice their response. The disciples were even... Oh, sorry, I, backed, I jumped ahead to 26. The disciples were amazed at his words. Oh, I did read that. Okay. Sorry, guys. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With this, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. In other words, it takes an encounter with the Lord. You know what? When God gets a hold of some, it doesn't matter if you're rich or not, but 
then you need an encounter with the Lord. Heart revelation of this will change it all, and you're able to enter. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Now, I want to bring this out, because the disciples' response to this statement of Jesus is so telling. Notice how they were amazed. Notice how it says again they were astonished. Then we have Peter here who says, well, we left everything to follow you. And now if you look in Matthew's um, account of this, he says these words, he says, what is our reward? Or the Passion Translation says, what do we get out of it? <laughs> so, so they're like, wait, what? You, you mean, this, is, this sounds contrary to what our experience has been. Rich can't be in the kingdom of God? What, what are you saying, Jesus? What's going on? He wasn't like, well, yeah, I mean, we're all poor. I mean, like, of course, don't you know, being poor is more godly. The closer, more poor you are, the closer you are to God. Like, wouldn't some of that be coming out? If that was the experience they were having in this ministry, why did he say, well, look, we've left it all. What's our reward? Why did he think there might be reward in this kind of ministry they're following? There might be some, like, like maybe God's not a taker. Like, maybe this Jesus is good and has been just blessing. You know, maybe we've been seeing some of this law of sowing and reaping happening. And Jesus, look what he says. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied. I didn't say, well, Peter, n- knock it off. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be asking stuff like that. I mean, that's really, you know, wrong focus. You know, I'm not saying we give to get and that. I'm saying it's about the heart. But Jesus, right away, is almost like, Peter, I'm getting there. Just hold on a second. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, no one has left who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. Boy, a hundred times would have been a whole lot for that guy. A whole lot. Says he had very great wealth. It says, we'll fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. That means now. That's, we're present right here. This is now. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. You're going to be tested in this matter. You're going to be tried. You're going to face some stuff on this. And in the age to come, eternal life point that I wanted to bring out is to enter the kingdom of God requires trust. And he is so for us. You know, our trust cannot be in our abilities. It can't be in our money. It just coming to that place where you realize there is one source. There is one provider. And what do you believe about God? He's, is he good? Do you believe he's good? Do you believe he wants to see you flourishing and thriving? Or does he want you just nose level? What do you believe? You know, like I said, if he's dealing with you um, in the matter of the tithe, if he's dealing with you to give a first fruit or uh, an alms, an offering, it's for your good. He w- There's something on the other side that that position, positions you for. Trust. Without trust like a little child. I really believe that's what um, Jesus is saying, you know. You will not enter the kingdom of God. All right, well, let's take a hold of our tithes. Let's present that to the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege to be called the children of God. 
that we can be part of the kingdom of God, that we can serve you with our resources. Lord, I thank you for everything that you've put into our hands. Help us to steward that well. Help us to please you with how we distribute and and that we are channels of blessing, that we're pipelines, Lord, for your work, for your kingdom. And Lord, I know that as we obey you, that you bless us because you're just in the blessing business. I just thank you so much for that. Lord, I just um, I thank you for all these tithers here. We present the tithe and the offerings to you as part of our worship. And I just call these people blessed. I call them provided for. And I thank you, Lord, for the needs met. Anyone that's here with a need, Lord, as they step out in faith and trust you, Lord, I just thank you that you bring the answers and bring the finances and bring whatever's needed on time. We just give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. All right, ushers, you can pass the baskets and the people will give to the Lord. City Gate tomorrow morning. Karen, see Karen for details if you want to be part of that. Um, So it's youth and young adults next Sunday. If you'll notice, the bulletin says tomorrow, but it is next Sunday. Just wanted to point that out. Fall home groups are starting up week of September 12th, and we have sign-up sheets down below tonight. So if you want to be, oh, in the back. They're not below. In the back lobby. So you're not going to miss them. I see a table right out there. So stop by that and be part of our home groups. I want to encourage you to sign up with our home groups. You'll find it right in the lobby in the back as you go out. And... and you may ask, well, what is, why do we have home groups? The reason we have home groups is, is multifaceted. One is because the body of Christ is all about relationship. And part of what we do in our home groups is we're building relationship with each other. People that we're doing life with, right? It's those people that you come together in the middle of the week and, hey, I need prayer for this. And they agree with you in prayer. And, and I know that since we've started doing home groups and the different people that have come through our home and been a part of that group, I've felt a stronger connection to them, right, than, than those that haven't been simply because we have FaceTime together, right? And so it's important that, that I believe we as the body of Christ um, be, how would I say, not just diligent, but on purpose, build relationships and so that's one of the ways we do that the the good thing is is in those home groups and we have teachings and we take the word of God and we eat it and we come out stronger and better equipped and able to face and quench all the wiles of the enemy right not sure why I say wiles I guess because I probably memorized that in the King James at one point but all his tricks so you can sign up in the back and the way it's structured, if, one of, if a home group fills up and you would like to be in that home group, just fill up on another paper that's there and we'll, we'll see what we can figure out or if we need to start more groups. The other thing that our home groups ought to do is to be bringing people in that are not necessarily a part of this body, but bringing people in that need to hear the word, need to meet people that are believers that know how to believe God so be bold in inviting family and friends to that